it's so easy to walk on a stage and just start doing what you know to do in the flesh. To start doing what you're comfortable doing, what you've done for years. Yet this morning as I was praying, I'm just going, God, I, I'm 47 years old. You know, my dad never lived this long. My mom didn't live this long. I, I think about my life and I, I, I think about everything I've been studying in this book my whole life. And I read about these stories where people literally encountered the, the living God. You know, that it wasn't just, hey, let's show up to a service, let's hear a message, walk away convicted or rejoicing or whatever. But we literally experienced him and, and he actually initiated and did something in a place. And this morning I'm just saying, God, that, that's all I want like I, I can't I can't afford another year of, of sitting in a church service and preaching a sermon and amens and this and that like God I want to experience you in a real real way and and I and I and I, I think that's where many of us are I mean that's why people are leaving churches left and right they're going gosh I read this book and this God that you guys talk about but I'm not seeing him I'm not experiencing him and I'm going God I want that we gotta have that man I know that a, a lot of people here today are saying, okay, maybe if we come this week, we'll hear about the strategy, we'll hear about the plan of what the pastors and elders are going to do together. And I'm just going, man, before we even get into that, there are things that are so much more important to make sure we're on the same page of, of who, just understanding who God is. And what he's like, I mean, even when we pray, I, I mean, I want to pray over you right now. I want to pray for us right now. But even as we pray, some of us just are conditioned this habit of, okay, close your eyes and go ahead, say whatever, blah, 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 blah. And when you say amen, get into the sermon. And I just want to remind us, do you know who we're about to talk to? I mean, this is an honor. Okay, every one of us right now, man, we're breathing. You can hear my voice because he is allowing you to hear me right now. Okay, any, any second, it's up to him. I'm borrowing life from him right now. Okay, any second he decides to take it away, it's done. And now we're going to walk into his presence and we're going to speak to him. That's a big deal. And so I, I just want you to join with me, but not just close your eyes. Think about who we're about to approach, Almighty God. And we're going to ask him to move in our lives. This is a real thing. I know some of you guys were raised up in church, and so it just, it can become just ah, normal. And there's nothing normal about what we're about to do. We are about to come before the creator of the universe. And so let's do this with a reverence that we talked about a few weeks ago. Let's give him our best attention. Would you bow your heads with me? God, you're so good. Everything you do is good. You're so worthy. I'm picturing just a hundred million angels in heaven worshiping you right now because you're the center of the universe. It's nothing about us, Lord. It's all about you. You made this world. You created everything in it for your glory. Everything was created by you and for you. 
And so God, everything we do today is for you. God, I want you to be honored. I want you to reveal yourself to us. I want you to do things in this room and in our lives that we know could never have been from any man. We want to walk away in awe of you. God, right now we think about Jesus. How he emptied himself. And he left everything to come down here. Not to be served, but to serve us. And to die as a ransom for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you did. God, today, I just pray for everyone in this room, for those who don't truly know you, that you would open their eyes to how beautiful you are, how wonderful and majestic you are, how loving you are, forgiving, how you're a God of wrath, a God of love, a God of mercy, a holy God. And we just worship you today. It's an honor to be in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Years ago, a, a friend of mine, Tony, asked me to uh, teach him how to surf. And uh, he says, man, I always wanted to learn how to surf. Teach me how to surf. And so I got him a board, put on a wetsuit, you know, showed him a few things on the beach. Like, okay, when you get up on the board, you're going to paddle and you just jump up, you do this, that. You know, just kind of giving him some instruction. And then, then I, I, you know, paddle out in the water. I'm like, come on out, come on, come out. And uh, he didn't go out in the water with me. He just went a little ways, not to where the waves were. You know, just a little ways. And I'm like, what in the world? What, what is your problem? You know? And then later on, I, I paddle back in. And I'm like, why didn't you follow me out? And he goes, I can't swim. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? You want me to teach you how to surf and you can't swim? That, that would have been good to know. I almost killed you, you know? Like, he just had to stay where he could still put his feet on the ground. I'm going, you can't, you can't do that. You, you know, let's go to the swimming pool, you know? And this is why I, I didn't want us to get up here and say, hey, here's a strategy. Here's what we're going to do at Abundant Life. Because the things that the elders and I have been talking about are things that are impossible in the flesh, okay? And in a sense, I want to just make sure we can all swim first, okay? Because what we're talking about, we're not talking about, you know, this, hey, let's just pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your life and then live, you know, life however. We're talking about people who have decided to, to die to themselves, to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus, Okay, we're not talking about, hey, let's get this room filled up with people who go to church. 
We're talking about being a church, being a body like Jesus called us to be. We're talking about living it out all day. And that doesn't happen unless you yourself really know him and you believe that you are filled with his spirit and you're able to do anything. You could put to death all the sin in your life and everything else. And, and then if we're all on the same page about who this God is and what he wants us to do, then we can start talking strategy. But that's why today I want to talk about, man, are we on the same page even about who we say God is? Because just because you say you believe in God doesn't mean we're on the same page. Because what do you mean when you say, I believe in God? What do you mean when you say the word God? And then next week we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Because a lot of people say, well, I've received Jesus. It's like, what does that even mean? Or as Jesus told us to repent, be baptized, filled with his spirit, and make sure we're all on the same page of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because there's a lot of false teaching out there. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, because I listen to the way churchgoers speak about their sin and what they're stuck in and how they'll look at these, the acts and they'll just go, man, I could never do this. I could never do that. I'm like, wait, are we talking about the same Holy Spirit? Because the way that so many quote unquote believers speak, I go, man, I, I don't get that doesn't make any sense if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, so you believe that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you and you're talking like that? Like you're stuck in this, you'll never be able to do this, you have no power. And I'm going, wait, let's make sure we're on the same page when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Then I want to talk about desiring God the week after that. Where I, I sure hope this isn't the only time you pursue him but where God becomes the love of your life. Man, I'm praying for a group of people where every day, you yourself, the best time of your day is you coming into the presence of Almighty God and going, God, I love you. You know, like Moses walking up the mountain, that's, that's you going up into the presence of God every day. Like this is your life. You just desire him. You love him. You want him. And so then when we gather together in this room, having all met, with him individually and now we collectively gather together as a bunch of people who've been in the presence of God and desired him all week. Now we come together to share a corporate affection with him. Man, it should be powerful. So we want to talk about desiring God. Then the week after that, I want to talk about holiness, about your personal purity. Look, I've been a pastor for years and every week I'll shake hands with people that pretend they've got this walk with the Lord. And then later on, I find out about what's really going on in their lives. And I want it to be a week where we just all repent. I mean, don't wait for a few weeks. If you got issues, repent today. But I'm just saying like, man, we know the number one reason that keeps people from coming to places like this is us and our hypocrisy and people that interact with you during the week and know what your life is really like and then find out you go to church, they decide, well, then I don't want to have anything to do with church because I know what your private life is really about. And it's like, it's time to confess that, 
repent, lay it all at the foot of the cross and turn from it to a new day where God looks at his bride, that's us, pure and spotless because of the body of Christ, because of what he did on the cross. And then once we've established all of that, then we'll talk about church. We'll talk about what we're going to do, but we're going to talk about it from a biblical perspective. What does God say church is supposed to be? Because everyone in here has a desire for what should happen during this hour and a half. But let's go to the word and, and, and see what did Jesus die for? What did he say the church was supposed to be? I mean, imagine if you were on an island, had never been to church, and you just read this book over and over and over and over. And then you, 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 you get rescued somehow, and, and you come to America, and you, you come to Silicon Valley, and you come to Mountain View, and you go, man, I'm going to visit one of those things I've been reading about, this gathering of believers. And then you walk into a room going, okay, I, I've been reading this book. Okay, I want to experience this with this group of people. And you walk in, and you just look around. Is this what you would have expected? I'm saying, let's go back to Scripture. And go, what did he say? Because he didn't, he didn't ask. Jesus did not ask for a bunch of people just to come and sit and listen to a sermon. He says, I want a loving body. I want a family. I, I, I want where, where people walk in and they've never seen love like this before. Where people walk in and go, gosh, they must be his disciples. They'll know we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we as the body could have a unity. Just like the father and son have this unity, he prays that same thing for us. That's the way the church was supposed to be, was this loving family. And as mentioned before, man, I led a church. We, we, my, my goal in the beginning was let's just get a bunch of people worshiping him. But I had no thought of them loving one another. And so what happened was thousands of people came and they worshiped him through singing, through listening to the word, but the obedience of loving one another. And that was all me. That was my fault. I didn't think about that. And yet that's the priority of scripture. We're going to talk about how, how the church was about training servants. It wasn't, it wasn't this idea of I'll put some money in the plate and pay someone to do the ministry. No, it was supposed to be, according to scripture, that the pastors, the leaders actually training you to do the work of service. And so that you walk in, not as a consumer of, oh, I, I like that kind of music. I like that kind of, you know, I like the way he speaks. And, you know, check off your list. Like, that is so far from what scripture teaches. But instead, you were supposed to come in. God gave you a gift for all of us. Some sort of supernatural ability. And when you exercise it, you experience him in such a different way. Man, sometimes when I'm on the stage, because the Bible says that he gives us gifts for the common good. This is why he gives us these gifts. It's not so that I can enjoy it for myself. But there are times in when I'm speaking and, and it's like, man, I sense his presence with me. I mean, there's, it's one thing to use, you know, this time alone with the Lord to get close. But when you exercise your gift, you commune with God because it's a manifestation of his spirit. And there's times when I'm speaking in front of a crowd and I'm just going, this is awesome, Lord. I feel like it's just you and me. Like, this is what I was made for. And in the same way, everyone in this room was given something. Everyone has a gift. Those who believe in Jesus and have chosen to follow him. You are given a gift to bless us with. 
And so the days of coming in and critiquing everything, they just need to be dead. Okay, it's time for everyone to come in. Everyone who's a believer to come in believing the spirit is in them and they have something to offer to this body and to come as a giver to the rest of the body, as a lover of the other people in the room. And we're gonna talk about how the church was meant to be on a mission, okay? Everyone was supposed to make disciples. We just gotta end those days where it's like, well, let me invite a friend to just hear Francis or whoever preach but where you yourself recognize that you can actually tell others about Jesus and to put it back on you because we all know we should. We all know the people, some of us have never even talked to our next door neighbors and we don't feel right about that. You're, and you're the one that they connect to rather than bring them in a room to listen to a stranger. It's, it's about you, empowering you, equipping you to go and make disciples. And then when we gather what I see in scripture is that everything was Christ-centered. Like the people actually longed to get together to pray with one another. It wasn't, I, I want to go there because this guy's speaker. I want to go there because this band is playing. No, I, I want to go there because I believe that when I get together with the, the brothers and sisters in Christ, like something happens when we pray. Like we come because of God. We come because of this, the body and blood of Jesus. Okay, the believers, it says that they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. That they went house to house, breaking bread, going, man, I want to remember the body and blood of Jesus. This is why we get together. They went to each other's homes and broke bread. And some of you in this room have never been to another person's home to break bread and to remember the body and blood of Christ. We want to change that. Because biblically, we're, we're, we're using scripture as the text now. That's why even right now, I, I said, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be in center stage. I don't want anyone coming because, oh, I want to come here, Francis, speak. No, we come together because God sent his son. God has said, you know what? This is supposed to be about Jesus. And I want this always to be at the center, the body and blood of Christ. I don't want to cover up the cross. So when you walk in, you go, no, I don't come here because he's leading or because of that guy. I come because, man, the body and blood of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just want to remember him. I want to proclaim him. I want to remember, man, every day of my life I want to celebrate his body being broken for me his, his blood being shed for me like I want this to be a regular part of our life because this is the way it was in scripture they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching this this book the word they devoted themselves to this they devoted themselves to prayer they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper and they devoted themselves to fellowship and so we want to talk about these things and then and then the following week, we want to talk about how that early church cared about the needs around the world, those who are hurting. There's people right now that are starving to death. There are people who can't find clean water. Sir, I've been there. I've seen them. I've fed them. We have believers right now in Iraq that are being tortured to their death. And so I don't want to just sit in a nice air conditioned room and spend all of our money on us. Make a better program for me, for me, for me, for me. I want this. I want that. No, all of us start looking outward and going, man, we got to do something for them. You know? Why? Because that was the picture of Jesus. He emptied himself, right? 
He made himself nothing and said, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to die for them. And we, our lives are supposed to reflect that, and our church should reflect that. Our budget should reflect that. Our personal budget, our church budget, to where we go, you know what? We care about people. We love people. And let's not just spend it all on ourselves. See, if, if we are right before God, it doesn't matter what our strategy is, it's going to work. Right? I mean, why... <laughs> I mean, you, that's, isn't that what the book's about? I mean, why did, why did Moses succeed? Did he have a strategy? I'll send a bunch of plagues. You know, I, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get us right up to the edge of the Red Sea. Was that his strategy? Did he think, no, he just walked with God. And so whatever he was going to do was going to work. And that's the way, we, because if you're close to God, man, you can walk around a building seven times and have the walls fall down. That is a stupid strategy in the world's eyes. But that's what this book is about. No, you just walk with God and anything will work. And yet, if you don't walk with him in purity, you could have the greatest strategy on earth and it's not gonna work. But as Americans, we jump in and go, okay, what's your plan, what's your plan, what's your plan? I'm going, let's just make sure you can swim first. Okay, let's make sure you know who this is. Because what the Bible teaches is if you are a man or woman of character, you're guaranteed success. You're guaranteed success. That's what it says in 2 Peter 1. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to strategize. No, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, what the Bible teaches is if you are the right man or woman of God and you are increasing in these areas of your character, God promises you won't be ineffective. You, you show me a godly man or woman, I'll show you an effective man or woman, a fruitful man or woman of God. That's just the way it works. Even when I was younger, people used to ask, hey, Francis, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? Man, you're jumping in ministry. What do you want to do? I go, man, I don't know. I'm not sure what I want to do, but I'm... I'm very confident of who I want to be. Like I picture myself being this faithful husband that loves his wife, you know, that is faithful to his wife. I picture myself as a loving father who, 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 who makes his children secure and just raises them in the fear of the Lord. I picture myself standing before a congregation just loving them and pouring my life out for them. Now what that's going to accomplish, I don't know. But I know I have this picture of who I want to be. I want to constantly be growing in my character. I hope I'm a different man today than I was a year ago. And I hope that next month I'm another person and I'm increasing in all these qualities. And if I do that, I'm set. I'm good. What's going to happen? As long as I abide in him, the fruit's going to happen. I don't even have to work at it. And so in a lot of ways as a church, what we're doing for the next few weeks is going, okay, let's make sure about who we are 
what we believe about God, who we are in Christ, and our love relationship with him, because that's right, then don't worry about the strategy. It'll work. I don't care what the strategy is. It's going to work. So this morning, just real briefly, I want to just make sure we're on the same page. When you say, I believe in God, for those who do, those who don't, man, I am so glad you're here. Seriously, man, I, 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 I just, just listen, learn, take something in. I hope you experience something real because he has absolutely changed my life. This is not like a crutch that I needed to get through life. Like there have been times when I've gone on my face and I've prayed and I've experienced things where I go, okay, this is true. This is true, 100%. That could not have been a coincidence. And I want everyone to truly know him. Okay, but what do you mean when you say you believe in God? Because nowadays in our lingo here, especially in, in Northern California, in the Bay Area, everyone says they believe in God. To some degree, the question is, is what do you mean when you say that? Just because you say that doesn't mean that, that we're on the same. Some people say, why? I believe that God is in, in wood, you know, in anything living. And, and that's what I mean when I say I believe in God. I, 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 I'm saying that we're all connected somehow. So somehow we're all believers in God because we're all partially God. You, you guys, I, but that's not what the scriptures teach. Okay, what the Bible says over and over and over again in this world that believes in a plurality of gods, God says over and over, no, there is one true God. There's just me. I don't know how he could have said it more clearly. Isaiah 43, verse 10, before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, verse 6, I am the first and the last besides me. There is no God who's like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. In, in, in verse, verse 8, is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Isaiah 45, verse 5, I'm the Lord. There is no other. Beside me, there is no God. Verse 6, I am the Lord. There is no other. Uh, verse 21, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none beside me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. On and on and on, God saying, I'm it. I'm it. This is it. This was the whole point of the scriptures was to show that there's one God. And I know we live in a time that where we have to be politically correct, but I'm telling you, that's not what I see in scripture. What I see in scripture is you see Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And I see him mocking their God. And saying, why don't you guys keep on praying? See what happens. Go ahead, cut yourselves open. Pray, pray, pray. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Remember that? Read it. First Kings 18, he goes, maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on vacation. How come you guys are praying and nothing is happening? Now watch when I pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Watch what happens. Because there's only one true God. You can pray. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not, go ahead, dude. Pray to that block of wood. Do it. Man, you see in scripture, God showing, look, I'm the one true God. You see it in 1 Samuel 5. 1 Samuel 5, when the Philistines captured the ark. Remember that story? This was so clear. The Philistines captured the ark, and they put the ark next to their God and their temple, the God Dagon, this big, you know, rock statue. That was their God. Well, let's add our God to him. And that night, the next morning, they wake up, and they go, wait, how did our, why is our God falling on the floor? 
Let's pick him back up again. Let's prop him back up. And the next day they come back. And now not only has their God fallen on the floor, but its arms broke off and its head broke off before the Ark of the, of the Covenant. Why? Because God's saying, don't, don't insult me. Don't make something out of, of rocks and say, oh, that's your God. Let me show you who the God is. Don't put me next to an idol. Are you kidding me? That's the God that I worship. That's the God that I will die for. As he says, look, there is no other God besides me. I, I, I think, you know, even in Isaiah, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, he is not politically correct at all. He's talking about these idols that people make. And I understand we want to be loving. We don't want to unnecessarily offend. And man, we want to educate and show people the power of God and do it in a loving way. But we also have to take a stand. And what he says in Isaiah 44, he, he talks about those who cut down trees and make idols out of them. In, in verse 14, he says he cuts down cedars or chooses a cypress tree and, and, and lets, let, lets it grow strong among the trees of the field. The rain nourishes and then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it, warms himself, kindles a fire, bakes bread... And then he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down before it. So half of it he burns in the fire. The other, over, the, over that half he eats meat. He, he roasts it and is satisfied. He warms himself. He says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they can't see, their hearts so they don't understand. No, listen to this, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, hmm, half of it I burned in the fire, I baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten. Should I take the rest of it and make it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He's going, where is the logic in this? Where's the logic? You just took a tree. You, you took a tree, you cut it in half, and you burned half of it to, to, to roast meat and to keep yourself warm. And you thought in your head it made sense to you. I know what I'll do with the other half. I'll make God and bow down to it and say, you made me. He says, where is the, where is the mindset in that? And, and, and before we're so quick to judge, I'm going, man, it is not that different today. When people create these gods, not even out of wood, but out of their own minds. And they go, you know what? I think God is a God who doesn't judge. I think God is a God of love. Therefore, he would never punish everyone. I think God is a God who would not create me with certain desires and then say, deny yourself. I think God is this way. And, and, and it's the same thing holds true today. I mean, with this same mind, this same mind that has thought adulterous thoughts, now you're using the same mind to create a God? And you're determining, you're using your own logic and own thinking and own feeling. And you go, no, because I feel this, it's got to be true. Is that true of all your feelings? 
And do you feel the same thing as a person next to you? No, no, we got to get back and say, no, no. What does the Bible say? Because again, we all have different views of, of what we should do in this room and what a church should look like. And I'm saying, let's put that aside. I did that myself. And now let's put it aside and go, what does God say about who he is and who we are supposed to be in light of that? And, and let's get back to that. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't make up your own God. You can't think in your own mind. I think he should be this way. You, you don't have that right. You can do it. You can pray to that God your whole life. Go ahead. Keep praying. See if anything happens. See if he delivers you. See if he delivers you in the end. I'm just saying, when I pray to the God of scriptures, things happen. Crazy things happen. And when Moses, who really knew God, remember when he first really met God? And God called Moses to go rescue the people out of, you know, Egypt. And Moses, is, Moses says to God, God, what, what do I call you? What, what's your name? Who should I say sent me? Do you remember what God said? I am who I am. Catch that. God just says, you want to know who sent you? I am who I am. He did not say, I am whoever you think I am. I am whoever you want me to be as long as you're sincere about it in your heart. No, he says, I am who I am. There's a truth about me. Man, you, you, you could walk out this room and say, man, I met Francis Chan today. And someone says, okay, what's he like? He goes, oh, he's like a seven-foot African-American guy. <laughs> and someone else goes, no, he's not. He's like a five-foot-tall white guy. And someone else comes along and goes, you guys are both right, as long as you believe it in your heart. Like, no, I'm like a 5'9 Chinese guy. It's just, it's who I am. Okay, and in the same way, in Scripture, we don't have the right to say, well, I think he's this, I think he's that. Let's say, what, he, what does he say about himself? And he tells Moses, look, I am who I am. And, and he, he, he describes his attributes, so we go to his word. And we look at what does he say about himself. And there was a passage that... Uh, to say it changed my life, man, that is not an exaggeration. It changed so many things in my life. And it's Isaiah 6. Many of you are familiar with it, but I remember when I first got it. Because for so much of my life, I went to church, which is part of the problem. I went to this place, and I'd hear them talk and tell me to believe in God, to do this, do that. But all that time, no one described what God was like to me. No one actually described him. So all I would see is like paintings on the wall of, you know, this long blonde haired guy holding sheep and go, is that him? You know, or I'd see a crucifix and go, that's him. You know, you just, you start thinking a certain way, but no one took me to scripture and said, look, here's a place where God actually described himself. And when I found out what God was like, it changed everything. Man, I, I, would, I would show up to these gatherings. I'm like, are you guys praying to the same God I'm praying to? Are you guys singing to, do you understand what he is like? 
I mean, it blew me away. Because remember, when Moses, Moses who knew God, who saw him, you know, was his friend. That In Exodus 33, when he says to God, God, can I see you? Can I just look at you just for a second? Can I just look at you? And what does God say? God says, no man can look at my face and live. Man, do you get that? That right now in heaven, there's a being that you and I can't look at in these bodies. That if God tore the roof off this place and says, just look up at me, we would immediately die. Man, we're not talking about just another person. Like there's a being up there who says that he's holy. That word holy means set apart. It means different from us. Man, when I was a kid, I would just maybe picture God being like me, but maybe a bigger version, right? And God says, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm, I am so different from you, Moses. I can't let you see my face. If I let you see my face, you would die. 1 Timothy 6 says that he dwells in unapproachable light. Like, I, I can't just look at him, and I don't want to just casually talk about him right now. I mean, when I get here, I'm just like, God, please don't have them look at me. Please don't have them think about how me point them to you. Because, man, who cares? We're all just a bunch of little people. They're just barely breathing, barely holding on. And then there's this one holy God that we can't even look upon right now. Who's holy, 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 set apart, different from us. So it's like, okay, God, you take center stage. You take center stage. We're just a bunch of people here breathing because of you. You sent your son to die on that cross. It's his body, his blood that we came here to worship. It's about this. And yet every once in a while in scripture, God allows, and, and each time it's different, but he allows a human being to get some sort of glimpse of him. Okay, with Moses, he says, okay, I'll, you can't see my face because you'll just die. But, but what, you hide yourself in that rock right there. When I pass by, I'll let you see a little glimpse of, of part of me. And, and here in Isaiah is one of those interesting spots because you have a human being who somehow God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you look at me. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of me. And he lives to tell about it. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He goes, In the year that King Uzziah died, and this is so important, I think, especially in this context. The timing of when Isaiah got to see God was the same year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the king for like 52 years. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, you know when they had a good king, things were good. And when they had a, big, a bad king, things were miserable. King Uzziah was such a great military leader that for 52 years, Israel was safe. They were safe, but then he died. The king died. So imagine all the people that were following this man for so long. And he's gone. And they're going, okay, what happens next? I don't know what to do. I've been following him my whole life. And God speaks to his prophet. And on the year that King Uzziah died, he says, no, let me show you who's really on the throne. Because it doesn't really matter what's, who's on that little velvet throne you got down there on the earth. That, it could be anyone. I could put an eight-year-old on it. It'd be fine. 
And he does at times, right? He goes, let me show you what's really going on in the world. And he sees God on his throne and goes, okay, that's, that's what this is about. He's, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, what if you walked in tonight, this morning? Suppose you walked in this morning and let's say no one else was here yet and suddenly you walked in and you saw the throne of God. This being sitting on a throne and his robe fills up this whole place and you walk in. What would you do? Would you go, oh, I can't wait to hear Francis speak. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that's what you came here for? No, you're not going to think about anything on earth. You don't care what songs they're going to sing. Isaiah says, yeah, the year that King Uzziah died, and he was off his throne, but I saw God. Man, it wasn't just a person. Like his, his robe filled the entire temple. It was insane. He, he goes on and, and he says, there were these, above him were these, these seraphim, these high angels. They had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He says, you got the high angels, high angels that would, t I mean, if an angel was in this room, you would be terrified, right? So imagine these high angels, they cover themselves up from head to toe. Why? Because that was a sign of honor. You don't just walk into a king's presence and say, hey, I got a question for you. You didn't do that in old times. Man, even with an earthly king, you hid your face. You did not feel worthy to look at that king or have that king look upon you. Man, that's hard for us in our culture that, that is free to flip off our president. We don't understand this kind of respect that they had. You know, where they go, okay, I'm coming before you. I'm coming before you. Look, when Isaiah saw this God, he said, even the highest angels were covering themselves up. And what were they screaming? Holy, holy, holy. The high angels were like, man, do you understand how set apart he is? He's so different. They're, they're around the throne and one, they're not even saying it to God. They're just looking at each other going, man, look at that one on the throne. He's, he, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. Look at him. He's so holy. He's so different from us. These are the high angels doing this. So how how dare we? We just walk into the presence of God. Hey, God, you know, I hear so many people tell me, oh, I can't wait till I die because I got questions for God. I'm going, are you kidding me right now? So you're just going to walk into his presence. Get your 12 wings out of here. I need to talk. Really? And that's a culture that we live in. Where people say, that God has no right to tell me this, tell me that. I go, no, you don't understand who we're talking about then. We're talking about two different gods. Because the one that I worship has high angels covering themselves up, screaming, holy, holy, holy. And the Bible says that the, everything started shaking when those angels were screaming that out. And the whole temple was filling with smoke. Let me ask you something. Seriously. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. If you walked into the presence of that God, picture yourself, everything you know about yourself, you walk in here and you see God 
and you see these angels screaming, holy, 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 and everything is shaking and this whole place is filling with smoke. What would you do? Hmm. What would you do? What would you say? Just kind of close your eyes and say a quick prayer? No way. And that's why I say, I don't want to pray like that in this room. I don't want to pray like that in my house. I don't want to pray like that lying on my bed. I start, when I got this vision of God, man, I started getting on my knees. And I, I just, you know, getting out of my bed. There where I used to fall asleep praying to God. And then I understood who I was speaking to. And now it's like, okay, man, are you kidding me? I'm talking to him right now. So those angels right now are screaming out his holiness. And I'm going to talk to him. Man, how would you respond? This isn't a game that we're doing in here. This isn't just a church tradition that we're doing. We're talking about a real person. A real person who exists like that in heaven. And we're coming, and he's watching us. He's watching us as we come in this room. That's why the last time I preached, I go, he says to that one, the, the, the Israelites back then, he goes, just shut the doors to the temple. Are you kidding me? That's the way you're going to worship me? That was the whole message in Malachi 1. And that's why it's because of Isaiah 6. It's because of who this God is that I want to give him excellence in everything that I do. In the way we worship, the way we sing, the way we pray. And Isaiah, after seeing that, he says, verse 5, Woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does Isaiah say when he sees God? I don't know what the first words out of your mouth would be, but Isaiah's words were, I'm dead. Woe is me. Woe was the strongest word you could think of. It was this deep, guttural, oh, I just saw God. I'm ruined. That word means I'm about to be destroyed. Like I, I, I can't even walk before an earthly king and look him in the face. Like if someone so arrogantly walked before one of those ancient kings and just said, hey, man, he was killed. And now he's before the king of kings and he saw his face and immediately, what does he do? He goes, oh shoot, I'm a man of unclean lips. He immediately knows his own sin. He goes, I live with people of unclean lips. We say like the worst things, things came out of this mouth and now I just saw God. I can't talk to him. I can't be in his presence. He's going to kill me. How different that attitude is from the attitude of our day that's prevalent here in the Silicon Valley. Which is, you have no right to say this. You have no right. I'm a good person. One day I'm going to go before God and he's going to see that I'm a good person. No, no, no. When you come into the presence of holiness, the first thing, I promise you, the first thing you're going to notice is your own sinfulness. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. The moment you see God, all that goes out the window. Because maybe you hang out with me and feel like you're a good person. Maybe you hang out with some of your buddies at work and you think you're a good person. But wait till you come into the presence of God. There'll be none of that. I promise you. I mean, think about it. If Christ returned right now and he walked through those doors, what's the first thing that's going to go through your mind? You're going to start looking at, thinking about all your sin, right? Oh my gosh. Did I confess this? You're just struck because you're in the midst of someone who is perfect. We've never had that before. Before a perfectly holy being and immediately he says, I'm dead. 
I'm saying, and that needs to be the first step for all of us. Man, first you understand who this God is. Why do I talk about this on, on our first official Sunday? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we don't usually start with the fear of the Lord. We jump to God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's like, no, first of all, do you understand God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and it's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord leads to life. It's because when you understand who God is and you fear him, then his love is amazing. You go, you're kidding me, that God... That, wait, 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 that being you just talked about, that being where the angels are screaming, holy, holy, you're telling me he had his son come, he watched his son die on a cross. So him, he could have done anything. He has a hundred million angels all around. He could have done anything. And yet he looked at me, me, Francis, this little nobody who screwed everything up in his life. And he says, I'm going to have my son go down and die for Francis. Man, when you fear him, then suddenly his love just gets to this other level where you go, you gotta be kidding me. He did that. If that God is for us, then who can be against me? But we start with that fear of the Lord. I don't want this to be an arrogant place where we walk in and say the name of God with no reverence. We got enough people using the name of Christ in vain out there. When we say the name of Jesus, we understand who we are talking about. A holy, holy, holy God who sits on his throne and the angels are declaring it. And I want to make sure we declare that in this room. And when we pray, I want to pray to him. And I want us to understand that when Isaiah made that confession, it says, I'm, I'm dead. It says that one of the seraphim flew to me, having a, a, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Man, when he humbled himself, that angel came and said, okay, you confess you're a sinner. Not anymore. I'm, I'm going to take, you said your lips are dirty. Let me cleanse that with this burning coal. You say you're a sinful being. Guess what? Someone just atoned for your sins. Someone paid for your sins. Okay? That's why we're in this room. That's why we gather here in this room is because we understand who God is and we understand what should have happened to us because of our sinfulness. And but God so loved us that he says, now let me clean those lips of you. Let me cleanse you head to toe. Let me remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. And so then we say, are you kidding me? I mean, what did Moses, what, what, did, what did Isaiah do? He didn't do anything. He didn't say, God, hey, if I serve you my whole life, will you forgive me? Will you let me live? No, no, no. He just confessed his sinfulness. And God says, let me clean you. Let me clean you up head to toe. Your sins are forgiven. They've been atoned for. And, Jeremiah, and Isaiah just says, okay, send me. Send me. Here I am. Send me. You need someone? You need someone to go for you? Send me. 
That's where the service comes from. It's from an understanding of who we are in God, what he's done for us. And so we just joyfully go, you want me to serve? You want me to teach Sunday school? You want me to help the, the handicapped? You want me to go to the old folks' home? You want me to go down to Mexico? You want me to go to Africa? Man, I shouldn't even be alive right now. And you cleansed me from all of that. Praise the name of Jesus. Here I am. Send me. So here's how I want to close today. I want to give you some time before God. This is, after I got that vision of God and understood what scripture taught about him, I started doing something different in my prayer life. And I really encourage all of you to do this. Before I pray, I take at least 30 seconds to think about who I'm speaking to. It changes everything. I mean, if you would just take 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes to just stop and go, okay, who am I about to address? And then talk. It changes everything that comes out of your mouth. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I just want some silence in the room. I think one of the musicians was going to come up. If, If so, there you go. You guys are good at taking cues. Um, I just want them to play softly just to drown out any noises and distractions. But I, I want you to enter here into the presence of God. Like what would you do if you literally saw the Lord? sitting on his throne what would come out of your mouth and maybe during this time some of you are realizing man I don't know that God I don't have a relationship with that God I don't know how to be forgiven I want to be forgiven like Isaiah was and I don't know that that's ever happened in my life I just came here it was just a routine I I didn't even understand what I meant when I said the word God if that's you and you're going man I want to be forgiven I want to tell that God, you know what? I want to follow you now. I want the real thing. I'm tired of playing church. I want the real thing. If that's you, during this time of prayer, there's going to be some, uh, some leaders here up front to just pray with you and talk to you. Maybe even baptize you next week. Because I want you to be right before him. So during any time, if you need someone to pray for you, just, just come up to the stage. But the rest of us, just bow your heads right now. Just forget that anyone else is in this room right now. And imagine what you would say if you came into the presence of God, sitting on his throne, the train of his robe filling the temple angels screaming holy 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 as everything is shaking what would you say to that God just say it to him right now
God, it was an honor to be in this room with you today, with your people. God, it's an honor to speak to you right now. God, with all the angels worshiping you, God, we join them and just say, Lord, we're nothing. This is all about you. The whole world revolves around you. We're nothing, and we worship you today. God, forgive us for ever making it about us. Forgive us for the times when we don't take our eyes off of ourselves and recognize who you are. But God, I pray that this would be a new day in this church, a new season, Lord, that when we talk to you, we understand who you are. And we worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind. And we do nothing out of mindless routine, but that everything, we just, we we do it remembering who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And God, we ask you to turn us into your church like a loving body where we walk in caring for each other, Lord. That can only happen by your spirit because we're selfish people. May we walk in gatherings thinking about others, thinking about you. Would we start to understand our gifts and bless each other with those? And God, this week, may we just get right before you so we can be lights to the world. So thank you, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And may we remember him and brag about him all week long. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.